How would you define this word? Risk. Here are some definitions I found this week. Risk is the potential of gaining or losing something. Risk is a situation involving the exposure to danger. And here's a very thought-provoking definition. Risk is the intentional interaction with uncertainty. Now, we know that we live in a world that is full of risks. When it comes to our health, we talk about risk factors. When you buy an insurance policy, how much you pay depends on how much risk is involved. We all know about financial risks and relational risks. How many of you who are married would say that marriage is a risk? Well, oh boy. Okay, I see some hands going up. Well, think about that definition, an intentional interaction with uncertainty. I mean, that is what it involves when you decide that you're going to make a commitment to a husband or to a wife. Now, there's even a board game called Risk. Anybody here ever play Risk? You know, in that game, um, players control armies and they capture territories and they eliminate the other players. We all know that there are many kinds of risks. Today, as we continue our series of messages, and again, the purpose of this series is to prepare us to celebrate Easter like never before, I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you think that following Jesus Christ requires a risk? Do you think that following Jesus Christ requires a risk? One of my favorite books is one by C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in this book, the central character is a lion. His name is Aslan. And he represents Jesus Christ. Now, there's a scene in the movie where one of the children, a girl named Susan, is going to be introduced to Aslan by another character. His name is Mr. Beaver. And this is what Mr. Beaver says to Susan. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I'd, I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The Jesus who calls you and me to follow him is the king. And as Mr. Beaver points out, he is not entirely safe. There are risks in following him, but the Jesus who calls us to follow him is good. This is our verse of the week. It's on a card inside your program this morning. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Friends, the way of the cross is not an easy life. The way of the cross does not promise comfort or freedom from pain. The, the way of the cross calls us to stop playing it safe and take risks to advance the kingdom of God. When you read the New Testament, you see promises that Jesus makes to his followers. And there are two things in particular that Jesus promises to those who follow him. One is trouble. Jesus says, in this world you will have what? You're going to have trouble. And we know that, don't we? Every day that we live, every week, there's all kinds of trouble. And trouble comes from different places. Some of the trouble is what began back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. We experienced the the world that is broken and fallen because of that choice. And then there's the, the choices that other people make. That brings trouble into our lives. There's the choices that we 
make ourselves that can bring trouble into our lives. So we know that the world and our lives are full of trouble, but Jesus promised us more than trouble. He said, if you follow me, I will give you my joy. If you follow me, I will give you my peace. And in this this road that we travel marked with suffering, there is this Jesus who comes alongside and says, hey, I'll walk with you. And as we walk together, I will show you a life of joy and peace and purpose. Now this morning, I want you to think about this Jesus who calls you and me to stop playing it safe. In fact, that's the title of the message. And as we think about this, I want to make some observations about this, the cost of playing it safe. What happens if we play it safe? Well, here's one cost. This is on your outline. It limits our impact. It limits our impact. Look at these verses. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into a lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. How did they respond? At once they left their nets and followed him. Now when Jesus called Andrew and his brother Peter, they decided not to play it safe. They left their business behind. They left their families behind so that they could follow Jesus around the countryside for three years as he launched his public ministry. And I thought about this. What if they had played it safe? What if Peter and Andrew and the other disciples had not decided to follow Jesus? How would their lives have been different? How would this world be different if they had decided to play it safe? I shared this at the first service. I was driving into the parking lot this morning and I was thinking about the message today, this Jesus who calls you to stop playing it safe. And the thought occurred to me, um, what if when Jesus called me to be a pastor, I decided, now I'm going to play it safe. And I've shared this with some of you. When God called me um, to be a pastor, I resisted that call. In fact, I essentially told God, I don't want to be a pastor and you can't make me. I've learned some things about God, that he is sovereign and that he has a, a good purpose and a good plan for my life. And I remember wrestling with God and there was one particular day where I just was up all night long praying and wrestling with God and when the sun came up, God had changed my heart. And if you were to ask me, well, why was it hard for you to you know, say yes? Why was it hard to accept this call of being a pastor? I would tell you there's one word that caused me to resist the call, pain. My wife Chris and I, growing up, had known a number of other pastors and their wives and their kids, and we understood that there are warping pressures that affect families in ministry. And that's not just true of pastors, it's true of anybody who's really serious about following Jesus. There are pressures that pour into your life. And Chris and I both knew that, you know, if, 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 we, if we go down this path, if I answer this call to be a pastor, it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be safe. And looking back, I would say that is certainly true. It has not been easy and it has not been safe. But I remember that Jesus promised not only trouble, he promised joy. He promised peace. He promised a life of purpose. And I was thinking about this too. What if... When Jesus you know, called me to be a pastor, I just said, no, I'm not going to do that. How would our lives be different today? I remember when I was a firefighter and God called me into a different kind of, of rescue work, you might say, that I uh, 
was at a pivotal point career-wise. I had been promoted several times, and I was being offered my dream job. The chief that was in charge of EMS emergency medical services for the whole city um, came to me one day and said, hey, Dudley, I'm retiring. Do you want my job? And I said, no, I think I'm going to be a pastor. And it was like, wait, wait, say that again? And I remember this is a really... Um, interesting conversation. I had a, a good friend who was a district chief at the time, and he called me into his office and said, listen, I heard this rumor. I just want to make sure that I hear hearing this correctly, because um, I think that maybe, and we had been in a big industrial fire um, a few days or about a week before this. He said, I wanted to make sure that you didn't breathe some toxic chemicals or fumes, because it seems like it's really messed up your thinking. I said, no, it's true. God has called me to be a pastor. And you know, today, as I, as I stand here and as I look out at you, I'm so thankful because God's given me a front row seat to see him at work in your lives. And I know that if my wife, Chris, were here, she would say the th same thing. This has given us great joy to be used by God to make a difference. And what I want is for each one of you to be able to experience that as well, to to get to a point of saying, you know what, I just don't want to play it safe. I want to take whatever risk God is calling me to take for the kingdom of God. And here's, here's another cost of playing it safe. The second thing in your outline, it shrinks our faith. It shrinks our faith. Look at this verse. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, notice this, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Okay, God, yeah, I'll leave, but I have no idea where you're taking me. Now, as Abraham got to know God better, God kept giving him what you might call FBOs, faith-building opportunities. And the first was, hey, just step out in faith. I'll show you where you're going to go. And God came through. And then, if you know the story of Abraham, he was about 75 years old. His wife is about 10 years younger. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to have so many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, you won't be able to count them all. Of course, the problem was they didn't have any kids and they were getting really old. Do you know that it was 25 years later that little Isaac is born? So for all that period of time, Abraham had to keep on trusting God and believing God and obeying God. But then, after Isaac is born, after he grows up, God has another faith-building opportunity of dramatic proportions. And some of you know the story in the book of Genesis. God goes to Abraham and says, I want you to take your son to Mount Moriah and offer him to me as a sacrifice. And it's hard to even wrap our minds around that story, but I really appreciate the fact that in the book of Hebrews, we get an insight into what was going on in Abraham's mind. Because this is his one and only son. This is his heir. This is the child that God promised. How can God say, I want you to sacrifice your son? And the Bible tells us that, that somewhere between leaving home and getting to Mount Moriah, Abraham came to believe that even if his son died, God would raise him from the dead. That's how much he trusted God. And many of you know the story. He's ready to sacrifice his son to follow through. And God stops him. says, Abraham, I know that you really trust me and believe in me. And what does God do? He provides another sacrifice, which points to Jesus, God's own son, who later becomes our sacrifice. But think about this. Each one of those situations continued to build Abraham's faith. Maybe today, God has given you an FBO, a faith-building opportunity. Because as you look at your life, there's uncertainty. You're not sure 
what's going to happen in a situation and you're worried and you're afraid. And here's what God would say. Trust me. I got this. I got you. I'm already in the future where you're headed, so just take my hand and go with me. And friends, as we do that, God will build our faith. Because listen, whenever we step out and obey God, it builds our faith. Whenever we shrink back and do not obey God, it feeds our fear. And that brings us to this next cost of playing it safe. It shrivels our heart. Playing it safe shrivels our heart. I'd like to share some some words from a story written by that famous theologian, Dr. Seuss. It's from a book called The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And some of you have seen the movie where the Grinch is played by Jim Carrey, but this is a remarkable story. Here's how it begins. Listen carefully. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Church, when we take the the risk of loving others, God enlarges our hearts. When we don't, when we play it safe, our heart shrinks like the Grinch. Look at these words of Jesus. He said this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think sometimes when people hear the word risk, taking a risk for Jesus, you know, their mind goes to, well, if God calls me to be a missionary in Africa, I guess I'll have to think seriously about taking that risk. But realize this, it could be the biggest risk that God's calling you to take is right in front of you. Maybe even in your own family. Because I'll tell you this, the greatest risk that you can take is to love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul and to love other people the way God has loved you through Christ. And that's a risk. And I think we, we know that. You know, coming alongside somebody and taking the risk of speaking the truth in love involves being misunderstood, even rejected. Sometimes if you take the risk of really getting involved in the pain of somebody's life, it will break your heart. But that's a risk worth taking. Not just because Jesus says so, not just because he commands us to love the way that he loved us, but because he says, I will help you. I will give you my wisdom and my strength and my courage. Because listen, when God commands us to do something, he doesn't just say, okay, go do it. He says, no, I'll go with you. I will give you the desire and the ability to carry out these commands to love. But friends, realize this. We can't really love people that way unless we first experience God's unconditional love for us, unless we stand under this waterfall of grace. And here's what happens. As you do that, as grace just fills up your heart, it's going to naturally splash onto the people around you. So far, we've talked about the cost of playing it safe. And if you look at your outline, what are the three things we talked about? It limits our impact. It shrinks our faith. It shrivels our heart. And you may be thinking, man, that's not good. You might be thinking, you know, I want to have greater impact. I want to have greater faith. I don't want to have a heart like the Grinch for crying out loud. 
I don't want a little tiny heart that's two sizes too small. And if that's what you're thinking, then this is what we need to consider next. How to stop playing it safe. What do we actually do? And here are some practical principles. Here's the first. It's a place to start. Get to know God better and better. If you want to stop playing it safe, this is where it all begins. Get to know God better and better. I want to show you a verse. This is Jesus speaking, and this is from John chapter 17. This is right before he dies on the cross. And he says this, now this is eternal life. Let me stop there. Um, If you're a believer, when does eternal life begin? When you get home to heaven? When does it begin? Yeah, the minute you believe Jesus Christ, because Jesus said you must be born what? Born again. You have a new life. And it's an eternal life. It's a kind of life that God created you to live. Now, this is really fascinating. Jesus is going to give us a definition of eternal life. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So this life that we were created to live, it really flows from knowing God. This life of adventure, this life of passion and purpose begins by knowing who God is and what he wants us to be and do. Now, here's another verse that talks about knowing God better and better. This is something that Peter wrote. He said, his divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a what? A godly life, the kind of life that God wants you to live, the kind of life that I believe deep down we really want. He has given us everything we need for a godly life. How? And notice the next phrase, through our what? Our knowledge of him, that's God, who called us by his own glory and goodness. And and notice the thought progression here. The better you know somebody, the more you will trust them. Isn't that true? It's true in human relationships. The better you know somebody, the more you will trust him. The better you know God, the more you will trust God. The more you trust God, the stronger your faith will be. The more daring your faith is, the more you'll experience God's power in your life. And friends, I think about the difference that that one person can make. One person who says, God, I'm just going to follow you. I'm just surrendered to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take whatever risk you call me to take. Think about the the impact of that one life. But think about this. What happens when a whole group of people make that kind of commitment to follow Jesus? Think about the disciples who turned the world right side up. And think about this. What could happen with the people in this room if we were serious about following Jesus? What kind of impact could we make in this world? And that is what I pray for, and that is what I dream about, because the scripture says that he is able, God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. How? Because of his mighty power that works in us, in the church. But we've got to take risks to be used by God. And that's why we need to do this. This is the second thing. Exercise the faith that you have. Whatever measure of faith you have today, you've been given that faith by God. And God says, I want you to use the faith that you have. And here's why, because it'll get stronger. Look at this verse from James. It says this, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. DOA. Faith always expresses itself in action. There's a a song that we're going to sing. In fact, it's the last song in the service this morning. And it's it's written based on a story in Matthew 14. It's a story that, that some of you, probably many of you know about. It's when Jesus sends his disciples away and he goes up on the side of a mountain to pray and so the disciples get in a boat They're out on the Sea of Galilee. A big storm comes up and they look and there's a shadowy figure approaching the boat and they think it's a ghost and they are terrified. And Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. 
And Peter says, well, Lord, if it's you, then tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, okay, Peter, come on. And what does Peter do? I mean, this is kind of a crazy story, isn't it? Yeah, he steps out of the boat. He actually walks on water. I don't know for how far, but probably not too far, because it says that he started to look at the wind and the waves, and what did he do? He starts to sink. And what does Jesus do? Hey, nice try, Peter. You know, I hope it works out better for you next time, if there is a next time. What does Jesus do? He reaches down and he picks him up and he says, Peter, where's your faith? Now, I believe this. I believe that that experience radically changed Peter. And here's why. Because for a few moments, he was doing what? He was doing the impossible. He knew that he could walk on water by trusting Jesus. Yeah, he took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink, but Jesus still picked him up. And here's the thing. When God does something remarkable in our lives, we can look back and go, God, you can be trusted. That's a faith-building opportunity. This past week, I have a, a number of different journals that I've kept over the years, and the journals um, often have prayers where I'm asking God to, to do something. Often, um, I'm prompted by difficult situations to really journal a lot. And I was looking at some of my journal entries that took place years ago, and then I saw God's answers. You know, I go six months into the future or a year into the future. And every time I do that, I'm reminded, I can really trust God. I don't know how things are going to work out, but he does. And I would encourage you to do that. You know, write your prayers out to God and watch how he answers. And as you look back, that experience will build your faith. Church, here's a really important question. Where is God asking you to get out of the boat? Where is God asking you to really trust him and take a risk? And I was thinking this week, there are all kinds of situations in people's lives here in our church family. And one of the things that I talk to people about on a regular basis is, is financial pressure. A lot of people are under financial pressure. It could be because of um, a job situation where there's uncertainty. It could be because of medical bills or maybe there's just a lot of debt. There's all kinds of things that play into that situation. And whenever we're having a conversation, they're looking to me for advice. Like, Pastor, what do I do? And my answer typically is always the same. Trust God and obey God. Because if you think about it, in this book, there are principles that deal with everything. It, it doesn't matter if it's finances or marriage or parenting or whatever. There are principles in this book that we can put into practice, but we have to really trust God and obey him to do that. I remember um, last fall, I was talking about giving, and I asked this question, does it take daring faith to tithe, to give God 10% of your income? And I remember you know, thinking about that question myself. For some people, they would say, no, that's, that's easy. I've been tithing for years. God always comes through. He always keeps his promises. For other people who have never done that, they would say, oh, yeah, that's a big risk, because what if God doesn't come through? Why do they have that perspective? Because they don't have a track record with God. They haven't seen God come through. And so here, here's my encouragement today. Trust God and obey God and get a track record with God because it'll build your faith and you will be reminded time and time again that our God can be trusted. And here's something else that I was thinking about this morning. When it comes to not playing it safe, 
what God is calling you to do may seem really big to some people but not to others. I was thinking about conversation I had with John Hernandez, who's the director of Children's Impact Network. It was actually the first conversation we had is when our church offices were over on Military Trail before we had this building. And, and John came to me one day, and he was actually looking for office space where our church office was, and I'd never even seen them before. And he introduced himself and told me about his ministry, and we actually talked for a long time. And he said, listen, you know, we have this ministry to pastors in Colombia, South America, and they're persecuted, and over the last several years, hundreds of them have been murdered by the communist guerrillas. In fact, I remember just a few weeks ago, I sent out a prayer request to our church family about a widow in Colombia who just recently had her husband murdered by the guerrillas and three of her four sons as well. I mean, that's a dangerous place. And I remember talking with John about that, John Hernandez, and he said, well, listen, um, I really would love it if you would come and be a part of our teaching team because these pastors need some guys from the States who are pastors to come and pray with them and encourage them. And these guys, a lot of them, don't have a lot of Bible training. It would be great if you could come and, and... and just teach because you've had the benefit of a really good education. And I remember, even as he said it, I could feel God tugging on my heart saying, yeah, you need to go. And I came home and I told my wife, Chris, I said, you know, um, John Hernandez, I just met the guy. Who's this guy? I just met him. (laughs) And he wants you to do what? Well, he he talked about going to Columbia. Well, okay, what's that all about? And I explained the risk and, and she said, okay. God's calling you to do it. You need to go. And, and here's what's so interesting to me. Um, you know, when you get married, you often find out that opposites attract. Do some of you know that? Yeah, and my wife and I are opposite in a lot of respects. And when it comes to our propensity to take risks, I'm kind of on the high end of the scale. And Chris is way down here someplace on the low end of the scale. And so uh, I got a phone call. This is um, at the end of the summer, early fall last year, and it was John Hernandez. And every time John calls, I go, okay, God, what's up now? And he says, hey, listen, we're, we're having this family conference down in Columbia for pastors and their wives, and, you know, they've been through a lot. And I said, yeah, I know. He said, well, here's the deal. Um, we would really like for some pastors to bring their wives along on this trip because those women need some other pastor's wives who can pray with them and listen to them and encourage them. Do you think Chris would be willing to go with you? I said, John, I have no idea. I said, but I will ask her. And I remember I hung up the phone. We were in South Carolina and I said, hey, Chris, um, John Hernandez was just talking to me and he, he wanted me to extend an invitation to you to join me on this trip to Colombia. And she said, to do what? I said, yeah, you know, to go to South America and there's going to be pastor's wives and you would have an opportunity to talk to them and pray with them and encourage them. And we could even do that together, you know, couple to couple. She said, man, I, I don't know. I got to think about that. I got to pray about that. And she did. And she came to me and said, I want to go. I said, why? She said, well, because how could I not go when I see the needs that God is calling me to meet? And friends, that's the key. God calls us to specific tasks and specific risks. And, and you guys know this. I mean, I've been to Colombia a bunch of times. Um, I'm headed down there, I think, for my sixth or seventh time in just a few weeks. And we try to be careful and manage the risk, but it's still a risk to step out and serve these persecuted pastors and their families. But here's, here's a thing that, that I wanted to share as well. So we went to Colombia last fall, and we're at the conference, and we're under this big, giant white tent, and there's hundreds of pastors and their wives. 
And I look over in the corner, and here's my wife, Chris, um, who really doesn't like to take a lot of risks. And she's there praying with this pastor's wife, and there are women lined up to pray with her. And I just, you know, I said, God, thank you. Thank you that Chris was willing to get out of the boat and to answer your call. The question is, where does God want you to get out of the boat this morning to answer his call? And here's, here's a way that you can figure that out. Here's the next thing we can do. Start praying some dangerous prayers. You've got to start praying some dangerous prayers. What's the name of the prayer that Jesus prayed with his disciples when they said, Lord, teach us to pray? What's that called? Yeah, the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. And many of you know that. Did you know that this is actually a dangerous prayer? That's a really dangerous prayer. Let me explain why. This, then, is how you should pray. Jesus said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Notice this next phrase. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here's what Jesus was after when he said, You pray like this. When you say to God, God, your will be done in my life, what you're really saying is, God, it doesn't matter what the cost is. It doesn't matter what the consequences are. I want your will to be done in my life because you're good and I trust you and I love you. Somebody said one time, you can't pray thy kingdom come unless you're willing to pray my kingdom go. And so here's, here's the deal, church. I, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to pray like that, to pray some dangerous prayers for your family. And if you're married this morning, I want to challenge you to pray some dangerous prayers for your marriage. To say, God, look, I want your will to be done in my marriage. God, it doesn't matter how much I have to change. It doesn't matter how much pain this might involve. God, it doesn't matter how much I need to forgive. I want your will to be done in my marriage. And here's the deal. If you are serious about that prayer, God will show you just how serious he is about answering that prayer. And let me share this. I was working on the message this week and really felt like God wanted me to address something that's been on my heart. Um, I know that, that marriage is, is difficult and that a lot of people have things going on in their marriages that need to be addressed, issues that need to be resolved. And one of the most um, dangerous things to a marriage relationship is when you don't resolve issues. They just get buried. And it could be all kinds of stuff. It could be something that has to do with money. Um, it could have to do with, with discipline issues with your kids or stuff with your in-laws or other relatives. It could have to do with your sex life. It could have to do with all kinds of stuff. And here's what we need to realize, that the most difficult issues in marriage are not necessarily the ones that were created in our marriage. They're the ones we brought into the marriage. Because we don't come into marriage as a blank slate. We've got stuff. We were shaped by the family that we grew up in. And we have these expectations of our spouses, what they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to do. And, and those things have, have marked us. And when you think about it, if you think about the family that you grew up in, you know, maybe you weren't given the love and the affirmation and the encouragement that you really needed. Maybe you were subject to some serious pain. And so what can happen in a marriage relationship is that when you're in conflict with your spouse, you're thinking about all those things that have happened in the past. And that hurt and that frustration from the past causes you to feel angry. And you take that anger and you dump it on the person you're supposed to love the most. 
Let me ask you this. If you're married this morning, have you ever had a, um, what should we call it, a, a heated discussion with your spouse? Were they overreacted? Ha, well, let me, have you ever overreacted? I have in having conversations with my wife. And, and you think to yourself, where did that come from? Have you ever said that to yourself? Where did that come from? Here's where it came from. More than likely, an unresolved issue from the past. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you to explore those issues and talk about those issues with your spouse. Now, I know this because I've been on the receiving end of, of many sermons, sitting where you are many times. And sometimes when the pastor says something, you're thinking, oh, yeah, I really should talk about this or that. And you go, oh, no, I'm not going there. I'm going to keep playing it safe. Because you know what? I mean, my marriage is it's kind of okay. God doesn't want you to just have an okay marriage. He wants you to have a great marriage. And, and here's the reality. If you don't deal with those issues, you never will. You'll never have the kind of joy, the kind of intimacy that God wants you to have. And I know this from personal experience, that if you are willing to not play it safe, if you're willing to really address those issues, that you will find the difference between having a roommate and having a soulmate. And that's what God wants for you. And that leads us to this final way to stop playing it safe. Realize what's at stake. Because there's a lot. I think about the Apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus, when God called him, he said, Paul, I want you to be a spokesman. I want you to take the message of the gospel. It's going to cost you, Paul. There's pain and suffering ahead, but there's joy and peace and purpose in me. And I love what Paul says. This is in Acts chapter 20. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I can finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul knew that people's lives were hanging in the balance in terms of the task that God had given him. I was reading a devotion by Charles Spurgeon. Some of you know that he was a, a preacher in London back in the 1800s. And he wrote this devotional book, and I was reading about his, his comments about going through a storm. And he said this, have you ever gone out after a storm and you see the sky is clear and the air is crisp and everything is clean and there's just droplets of water on the on the leaves and the plants, and just how beautiful it is, is like there's a new beginning. I think we all know that, right? When you see a storm has passed. And he said that's the experience for every Christian because on the cross, the fury of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ for us. He died as a substitute. And we talk about that here all the time, that on the cross, God was willing to put our sins on Jesus and punish him in our place. The wrath of God that we deserve is poured out on Christ. There is a storm that Jesus endures for us. And here's why he endured it. So that we would never have to. And Spurgeon points that out. He says, you know, for, for people who are Christians, the storm is past. You don't have to go through the storm because Jesus did it for you. He says, but for those who have not yet trusted Jesus Christ, there is a storm ahead. And he made reference to a phrase in the scripture it's called the wrath to come, that a day is coming because God is holy and just. He can't just look the other way. He can't just say, that's oh, no big deal. Our sin is cosmic rebellion against a holy God and it will be punished. And the question is, well, do you want to take the punishment yourself? Because if you do, it will never stop. 
Or do you want to accept what Jesus has done for you as a free gift by saying, Jesus, I, I'm a sinner. I believe you died for me. You rose from the dead. I want to follow you. Because when you do that, the storm has passed. And you are forgiven. And you find great freedom in God's love. And this is what's at stake, church, in terms of us taking a risk because the gospel has been entrusted to every follower of Jesus Christ, not just to pastors. And let me say this, that when you, when you have that kind of risk-taking, daring faith, it is contagious. It will affect the people around you. But there's a flip side to that. Fear is contagious too. Now I want to do this, and Sam will do it again. We'll just go to the end of the, the, um, the service right now. But there's a video I want you to watch, and this is one of my favorite videos. I showed it in the membership seminar just a week or so ago, and you'll see why I like it so much in just a moment. But it answers the question of why we should stop playing it safe. Let's take a look. Okay, this is it. We're going out. First call, time to be a hero. Brennan, come on, let's go, get this. Get this. Rook! Yeah. Hold on there, Rook. We're not going out on this one. Why, why not? We're not ready. We're not. No, we're not. You just go back to bed. I'll let you know. All right? Go on. Hey, 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 rookie. Get back to work. We're training. No, no, no. The, the alarm. We're just training. Go. Go. We're training. Do it. Go. No, 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 no. Not until this place is spotless. Let's go. Come on. Hey, rookie. No, no, no. Keep working out. We're not strong enough yet. No, 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 no. Not yet. It's not a good time. Not a good time. Hey, come on, the fajitas will burn. Calm down. Hey. Hey. Oh, I just got comfortable. Somebody shut that thing off! It's the best part. Nope. No, no, no. Nope. Nope. No, no, it's not safe. I'm not feeling it. Not safe? Seriously? We're firefighters. Slow down there, overachiever. We don't even know if people out there like firefighters. I'm not feeling called. I'm feeling it. People are dying out there. People die every day, rookie. Don't you think something's wrong here? I mean, isn't it strange that we're a fire station? We don't even put out fires? Nope. Nope. We're not getting this one. There's other stations. Come on, it's right next door. Hey, if they want our help, they come and ask us. Well, we go over there acting like we're the big shots. We got all the answers. But, hey, they may not even want our help. Help me! Hey, they could be talking to anyone. You firefighters, help me! I gotta catch this call here. I want to clarify one thing for you. That is a parody. That's not what firefighters do. 
there was actually a young man here in the first service who's in the fire academy. He's about halfway through, and he was very thankful that I clarified that. But you know, that video makes a really important point, doesn't it? It's easy to play it safe. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a practical way to take the message today and put it into practice. Guys, um, if you want to just go ahead and take those baskets, <clears throat> we've got some baskets, and we just want to pass them down the aisles here, and inside the basket is a little invitation card to our Easter service. And, and here's what you can do. You can just give that to somebody and say, hey, um, love to have you come to our Easter service at, at BBCC. It could be a family member. It could be a neighbor. It could be somebody that you just met. Um, I've given cards out to, say, the person in the deli where I get my sub at Publix and say, hey, thanks for the sub. Here's a card. Hey, love to have you come to church. But here's the deal. For some of you, that's easy. That's not much of a risk. For others of you, that might be a, a risk, something that, um, that you've not done before. But I want to encourage you to, to do that. And to take those cards and listen, if you use all the cards, we'll make more because we want to fill this place up on Easter Sunday. Hey, listen, as those cards are being passed out, I want the band to play a song. It's called Motions. And let's listen. And then after this song, we're going to stand and sing together. Let's listen. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, that is our prayer that you would help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, help us not to be afraid as we look at the wind and the waves, but to rest in your sovereign hand. And God, as you call us out of the boat, I pray that you would give us the courage to stop playing it safe. In Jesus' name, amen. And now receive this blessing from God's heart to yours. And now may the amazing grace of our master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God our Father, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of you. Amen. Thanks for being here. Go in his peace.